As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscali. With me is my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. And the Buffalo Bills have gone through their first preseason game of the 2021 season in a dramatic event. They beat the Lions 16-15, to uh, where we got a bit of a uh, a Jake Fromm moment in, uh, in what was an interesting evening on the fourth and 10 hitting Marquez Stevenson for a 42 yard pass, which ends up setting up Tyler Bass for the game winning field goal. It wasn't that easy because Tyler Bass kind of, you know, did something he shouldn't have. And then, uh, and then, you know, the lions just let the clock run out kind of a weird ending, but Hey, that's the preseason, but we're here to talk about all of it with you, whether it be where guys lined up, how they looked, um, who, help themselves, who didn't help themselves, maybe some of the theory behind resting a lot of these guys. So we'll get into all of that. But Matthew, what did you first make of um, of what we saw out there, whether it be the from bomb or whatever else? Yeah, it was nice to have preseason football back in a way. Um, and then you get quickly reminded of what preseason football looks like and uh, <laughs> why maybe we didn't miss it all that much last year. But it is still... You know, an interesting exercise to see these guys in game action against another team. You get clues into what the Bills are looking at, what the Bills are trying to decide. Um, You know, the idea of a ton of starters didn't play, which makes a lot of sense considering how set in stone most of their starting lineup is and how established a lot of their players are. And what Sean McDermott mentioned, that they know who those guys are. They they have been with them for a while and they understand who those players are this game was about figuring out the other layers of their roster the backup spots you know they have to make a handful of cuts between now uh, and the next preseason game so figuring out who those players might be but it was it's just nice to see a, a game and evaluate that way especially at certain positions that are harder to really you know extract too much evaluation from in 
training camp practices, particularly running back. So I feel like a lot of what we saw in practice carried over, and then there were a few little surprises. So um, it adds adds a layer of uh, you know intrigue to roster projections and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. What I like most about the preseason, aside from from all of that, is that it gives you little hints because a lot of times with these guys, you know, when you ask them a question about a player, they're probably gonna going to give you a good response about a, a single player. And, and, you know, it, it just really depends on who you ask based on uh, throughout the duration of training camp. But what preseason does is it, it removes all of that filler and gives you action, what they're doing, who they're playing, when they're playing them, who they're playing them with, or even in this case, who they're not playing. Um, so I, I found, you know, maybe some of the, the guys who didn't play to be somewhat interesting based on you know who they believe to be as a part of their core of what they're looking at this year and you know there for the most part there weren't any surprises um you know but there there are some notable ones that that didn't play that were like okay well maybe if you thought they they could potentially be on the bubble they're they're probably safe but who knows it's just a an, an indicator at this point so some guys of of note that didn't play last night that maybe were on a quasi bubble. Taiwan Jones, um, who's one of their special teams guys. I mean, even when Antonio Williams went down, you know, they're they're probably hoping that they didn't have to put Matt Breida back in the game because, you know, Jones didn't really play on offense. Um, Mario Addison is another one. Jerry Hughes, uh, another one. Guys that are probably safe, but, you know, just another indicator. Um, John Feliciano, another one. Uh, Taron Johnson did not play at all in that game, so it's interesting that he has elevated himself to that point. Um, and then on on the flip side, you can you can say, okay, well, who didn't play from a uh, from a, a not so good perspective? Guys like you know basically the entire third team offensive line: uh, Caleb Beninock, Jack Anderson, Tyler Gauthier, uh, Markel Harrell, and Cyrus Tuatelli didn't all, all did not play, which is probably not the best sign for their future. Uh, maybe as early as Tuesday. Probably not Jack Anderson, but the other those other four names that I that I put out, yeah, probably uh, they'll they'll probably be in consideration for the Tuesday cut. So there's a lot of uh, ways to look at this, and then you look at like the individual playing times, which I found to be the most compelling. Um, and you know specific things, but uh, sticking with the offensive side of things, just because you know we, we've been talking about it a bit. You know, this this Jake Kumaro stuff is not going away. He he played both series with Mitchell Trubisky, and they sat him down the rest of the game. Isaiah Hodgins did not come in the game until Jake Kumaro went out of the game. And, you know, that's a, that's a pretty strong indicator this early on, don't you think? I think so. I mean, that and Isaiah Hodgins ends up getting hurt mm-hmm. and, you know, misses the rest of the game. Marquez Stevenson came up with a big catch. Uh, he's probably the only other receiver... Not even that I think could threaten Jake Kumaro's roster spot, but that could sneak onto the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he he offers something different with his speed. He's made big plays in training camp that looked a lot like the one uh, that he connected with Jake Fromm on. He's one that you know they'll probably be looking for reasons to find a way to to keep him around in some way, shape, or form. But Jake Kumaro seems to have cemented himself. In, in a lot of ways. 
at least at this point. You know, mm-hmm. things can change. He could get hurt. Guys could play catch up. There's time, but in the first two weeks, which is a good chunk of time and a pretty strong, you know, indicator of where things are going. Jake Kumaro looks like a guy who should make this team mm-hmm. because a lot. Some of those guys that you mentioned, like you said, you can't just say who didn't play. Those guys are on the team because, you know, I think there are different reasons for for each. Right, Taiwan Jones to me probably falls as much in the bucket of we know who this guy is mm-hmm. as he does. He's absolutely safe to make the team. To me, it's more of a, they're going to have to make that decision at some point. It's not guaranteed that they keep him on the team, but they have all the information they need to make that decision from Taiwan Jones's perspective, right? They know what he does on special teams. They know he doesn't, you know, he's not really a factor uh, as a running back, at least not, you know, with their current depth chart. So they wanted to see what they had in the other guys. And if, if, those four are good enough in front of him to push him off the roster if or, or if another special teams player steps up you know it's possible that that mm-hmm. Taiwan Jones would not make the team Jake Kumaro what's interesting to me about that is they don't know Jake Kumaro all that well they don't have a super long history with him yes he was on the team last year but he hasn't been around as long as Taiwan Jones has been around, or even as long as, you know, like AJ Klein didn't didn't play. They know AJ Klein really well. They've known him for a long time. Jake Kumro is not that way. So to me, him not playing was more of a sign that they feel pretty good about him being on the team and they want to, you know, there will be a time to evaluate him and they're probably trying to evaluate him with the quarterback he's been practicing with most. And, you know, that being Josh Allen. So yeah, I think Kumaro is off to a really good start. You know, the two guys I think that it feels like have come re- as close as you can get to cementing your fate at this point in training camp, Jake Kumaro and Levi Wallace on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously his roster spot wasn't in jeopardy, but they made him play last night, which I found interesting an indication that 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 battle is ongoing between him and Dane Jackson and all throughout practices. We've thought Levi Wallace has been much more consistent and probably their better option. It was pretty glaring last night. He Mm -hmm. looked that way. I mean, I I think that guy's starting. He's carrying himself like a starter. He's completely unfazed by the competition, which I find pretty impressive. You know, the way that he carries himself and handles himself, he's exactly what they want. Uh, the way Tredavious White put it, you know, when the guy makes mistakes, it has nothing to do with, you know, anything mental. It's just physical sometimes. You know, sometimes he gets beat. That's what they want, I think, in that spot. A guy that can count on Dane Jackson, perhaps a little bit more physically talented, but the results are way more up and down. Yeah. So, yeah, Kumaro on one side, Wallace on the other as guys that what we saw in practice – carried over or what they hinted at in practice carried over in Kumaro's case he didn't play much Mm -hmm. so you know that showed us that they liked what they saw in practice in Wallace's case it's just been steady from the moment you know this competition was brought into the public you know in the spring he's just been rock solid yeah 
and with Levi, uh, they had him uh, be done playing after the second defensive series, and Dane Jackson played through the rest of the first half. So that could be another indicator that they believe that Dane Jackson needed just a bit more time uh, than than Wallace because they could have just let Jackson, you know, go out of the game along with Wallace, have uh, Saran Neal and Rashad Wild Goose play the cornerback spots, and and then you're you're finding out about that depth. But they want to find out more about Dane Jackson because they don't know about him at this point, and really because, like you pointed out, Levi Wallace has been the better player in in training camp so far and the far more consistent player. While Dane Jackson will have flashes, he'll also have some pretty bad beats and we saw that um in in the preseason game even so uh yeah that's that's one that i think is getting closer to being labeled a win another win for levi wallace in a training camp where he would open up the the season as the uh starting cornerback for the bills the other one on the defensive side that that i'll point out just because i found it pretty interesting just based on usage they only used Justin Zimmer on one drive, and that was on the second drive of the game, and it was in a rotational role. They just wanted to get his feet wet. The rest of the time, you know, they they used Harrison Phillips all the way through the end of the first half, with which, you know, call it what it is. I mean, Harrison Phillips was their starter with Ed Oliver, probably more so as because he's a one technique to the to Ed Oliver's three technique. But if you're only playing Zimmer that that much like just just barely on the second drive and it's only because i believe that drive was the um the super long one where uh the lions uh had i don't know what was it 16 17 18 plays and ended up with a field goal something like that um and that's the only time he played in this game you know to me that's that's another indicator of okay this guy is someone that has been just playing lights out at training camp so far there hasn't really been an offensive lineman that has given him too much trouble in this camp, which you know sometimes isn't saying much for some of the, the second-team offensive line that the Bills have right now. But still, Zimmer is, is doing well against first-team guys as well. Um, and then you're playing Harrison Phillips for that long throughout the entire first half. You know That kind of means to me that they feel really comfortable with Zimmer at this point. Otherwise, we would have been seeing him in you know the second half, even just more than just you know a a couple of snaps and it's not as though he was injured because they would have they would have uh, given an injury update saying hey Justin Zimmer is uh is out for the game with with such and such you know that that's that's another one and i wonder if maybe it's not a competition between Justin Zimmer and and uh Harrison Phillips or but if it's a competition between Harrison Phillips and Vernon Butler more than anything so you know I'm I'm curious how how that one goes into the the second game as well Hey football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. Yeah, it's such an interesting, you know, puzzle to try to figure out the motives behind the playing time mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. because there, like I said, there are so many different variables that go into it. And Harrison Phillips, you know, they know who he is as well as anybody and they're making him go out there and earn something. What are they making him earn? I don't know. Maybe a roster spot, you know, maybe 
um, figuring out if he has a role. Mm-hmm. They played around with that defensive line that we sort of hinted at after the draft when we saw all the pieces that they had and wondered how many of these defensive ends they could fit on the field at once. The answer is four. Um, <laughs> right. You know, Greg Rousseau, um, F.A. Obata, A.J. Epinesa, and I'm blanking on Boogie who Basham. Was in there. Boogie Basham all in there at once um, just for a snap, but a little preview uh, as to what they can do if they can work all these guys onto the roster. And it shows why down the, the roster a little bit, a guy like Harrison Phillips or a guy like Vernon Butler, you don't need both. You, mm-hmm. you need one, you know. Um, they both but, do the same thing. They both do not rush the passer well. Like, you look at their their pressure percentages from last season, and it's 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 much lower than what Justin Zimmer provided. And if that's their main thing that they want to do this year, that Brandon Bean has hinted at multiple times, like trying to figure out that pass rush and get it to be more effective, then you don't need two of those guys especially if they're just going to be the the rotational guy behind Star Latule at one technique. Yeah, and while we're on the topic of the pass rush, I thought it looked pretty good last night. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. You know, F.A. Obato was, you know, just like he was in, in camp practices, disruptive from both the interior and the edge. Greg Rousseau, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know the – the, the book on him coming out was that it might take a little while. He hadn't played football in a year. Whatever he did, you know, he spent a lot of time with, you know, pass rush specialists and, you know, doing specified training last season while he was sitting out, um, you know, an opt-out due to COVID. It worked, mm-hmm. it seems like. I mean, well, you know, it's early. It's one preseason game. It's a few series, but... And the sack isn't even really what I'm talking about. You know, I, I wrote about this for today. Like the sack was was great, right? You want um, to get on the board, get a little confidence. But that wasn't totally on Greg Rousseau. It was a nice rep, but the interior of the pocket broke down and Goff kind of just turtled because he didn't want to get hurt, which uh, cannot blame him for in August uh, by any means. But he kept winning pass rush reps. Mm-hmm. He kept, you know, creating... It's not always going to show up in the form of a sack or a quarterback hit or a pressure, but the way he changes angles and the way he, you know, manipulates the pocket because of how long he is and gets himself into throwing lanes, it's going to be a factor for this defense for sure. He is, I feel pretty confident in saying, at least in the early part of the season, he will far out snap Boogie Basham. Yeah. And I wasn't 100% sure that would be the case when the two of them were drafted, but uh, Boogie Basham could easily catch up and, you know, find a role, but it is way easier to envision uh, a significant and consistent snap count for Rousseau and to see him impacting games because we're already seeing it. Yeah, I mean, and it's not him going up against just second, third team offensive linemen of the Lions or even against the the bills for that matter, like Rousseau has mostly been working against Daryl Williams in camp and he's looked pretty darn good um, throughout, throughout the time he's, you know, it's been an awesome battle to watch because those are two talented players and Rousseau is winning his fair share. Um, But then when you get to this, this preseason game going up against a guy who was picked in the top 10 by the lions, Penny Sewell 
um, who by a lot of accounts was the most talented offensive lineman in the draft. And it's the reason why the Lions invested that high of a pick in him. And for him to do that against Sewell is very impressive because those are two players that are on the same plane right now to where they are rookies in their first preseason game. And it makes you wonder what Rousseau could be once he gets to the next stage of, of his, uh, his eventual, you know, potential and, um, and just the plan that they, that they have him on. I think Rousseau has, I don't even think it's been close between Rousseau and Basham. You know, Basham was playing all the way through the end of the game. And that was very reminiscent, uh, you know, you know, that that sort of thing is reminiscent of maybe how they would have used A.J. Epinesa last year because Epinesa was kind of behind, you know, and he wasn't really working in against the best players on the roster during training camp last year. And, and you know, we ended up not seeing him for a while in the, in the early parts of the regular season. And to me, Basham, I don't know, it just, it just, didn't really look all that impactful in in the game against the Lions. You know, it's early, and you know we've seen Epinesa kind of you know put together a great pass rush, even though maybe the rest of his game against the Lions was just okay. Um, Basham really did not do much for me in, in in that game, and you know watching him, I I really focused on him in the second half because he would. I mean, at that point, F.A. Obata, we already know what he is. And, you know, some of the other defensive linemen, but, you know, focusing on him and going up against second and third team Lions offensive linemen and him not really getting separation or getting into the backfield. You know, that is slightly concerning at this point, but it is early and maybe he's just trying to get it. But you'd almost have to wonder if maybe if he doesn't get it going by the end of the third preseason game, if maybe he ends up on the AJ Epinesa plan to begin the season where they potentially make him inactive. Because if they have guys like Rousseau, Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, F.A. Obata, who are all making plays um, from the edge, and then you add in Oliver and Justin Zimmer and all these different things, like, do you need to force him into the lineup? Like, is is it just worth your time to maybe um, have him watch from afar, which is a big thing that McDermott likes to do with some of his younger players, um, and then teach him in the background with Eric Washington and Jacques Cesar? You know, I, it does have me wondering if if he's going to be active at the beginning of the season. And that's not something that I would have thought – that I would say at, at this point of August, about you know, maybe even a month or two ago. No, and it's fine. Yeah, it too. is. Absolutely. Like, you know, because you mentioned AJ Epinesa, and we've seen improvement from him. Uh, you know, I'm not ready to say he looks like a 10 sack a year defensive right. end, but he looks significantly better now than he did a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to remember draft day with boogie basham when brandon bean wasn't planning really on taking defensive ends back to back he wasn't necessarily thinking that they would end up with boogie basham and so it shouldn't be a surprise if they don't have an obvious spot for him on their defensive line right away mm -hmm. and it could be a case where 
mid-season, end of season, he starts to to come around and they find a specialty role for him. But it's a combination of, one, him being a best player available pick. Sometimes that automatically makes it so that you're not necessarily as involved in your rookie season, right? You're not, you weren't drafted for an immediate need. Uh, you were drafted for the long term and because you were the best player on the board. You see it in New England a lot where, you know, rookies won't play. You know, as your roster gets deeper, as your team gets better and you draft that way, sometimes you're able to take a little bit more time to develop a player. And I think when you look at it through that lens and then you remember that they added F.A. Obata, they already have... Epinesa, who they drafted the year before, Addison, Hughes, they drafted Greg Rousseau. You know, in a few years, when Addison and Hughes are, well, Addison will probably be gone after this year. Mm-hmm. Hughes is getting older. He might be back that's next when, year. Yeah, know. he might be back, but he's getting older. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you need Boogie Basham. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's people want to and in football you can think this way where the draft will satisfy your immediate needs but really you're trying to layer it you know a couple years you know people think wow their their salary caps getting tighter they need rookies to come in and provide cheap production and that is one way for it to happen but really what you're looking for is AJ Epinesa to provide you cheap production because you've invested the time to develop him you're looking for Ed Oliver, Cody Ford, Dawson Knox to take the next step and provide that cheap production on their rookie deals. It's a couple of years of development, a year or two of development before you get that. And so you're planning a couple of years ahead. In the case of Rousseau, it looks like he might be able to provide some of that immediate production. If Boogie Basham doesn't do it until 2022, that's okay too, because they have the veterans in place where he doesn't need to be on the field immediately playing a significant amount of snaps. Mm -hmm. There's a role where you could see them working him in as a specialty player, but right now F.A. Obata is better at that role. Yes, he is. So I would say you have to keep F.A. Obata on the team. Um, And, you know, I know he was a quasi-bubble guy coming into camp, but I see no reason why he shouldn't be on this roster going into the season he's an impact player every day at practice and he was again against the lions you cannot ignore that and they played him a lot yeah they did well Uh, mike love was out of the game for for whatever reason he didn't dress for the game but but i think that probably played played a role in it yeah i was almost surprised that he played so much because Mm -hmm. i was like get this guy off the field right like i i mean he's you know he is still you know not that seasoned, right? You know, he hasn't been playing football that long, but he he's a really good player. Uh, I'm really interested to see what he can bring to the table, how they use him between him and Rousseau and even a, a decent amount of improvement from AJ Epinesa. I do think this pass rush can turn it around. I would say of everything in training camp, that is the most encouraging sign mm-hmm. about this team because last year, we mentioned it. They invested more money in the defensive line than any team in football. And they had their two most recent highest draft picks in 2019 and 2020 on the defensive line. And the return was not there. It was a problem in the AFC championship game. 
It was a problem in some of their bigger games. And they were intentional about addressing it. And so far, it has to translate to the regular season. But it looks like they got it right. Uh, Are they going to be the best pass rush in football? Probably not. But it looks like they got it right and they can be better. They made an adjustment personnel-wise. And it looks like they might make some adjustments uh, to you know, the scheme type of stuff that they can do and how they manufacture pressure. It's encouraging that they're able to self-scout and adjust that way, mm-hmm. even though they had so much tied up into the line. So it looks like it should be better. And to me, I think that's probably been the biggest positive to come out of training camp so far. Yeah, for sure. And like Ed Oliver looked good last night in his two drives um, where he was, he looked like a a solid impactful defender from the interior um, as both a pass rusher and as a run defender yesterday. So that's another encouraging sign because he had a a pretty solid, um, a pretty good actually end to his 2020 season. So they're hoping for uh, him to, hit that that level that they want him to get to as a top 10 pick in in uh, his third season. The other thing I thought of is, you know, if Rousseau continues on this trajectory, there is a room for him to grow into a starting role in at some point in the season. Now, this is way down the line, but let's say Epinesa is more becomes more just like a rotational guy. They can always take Jerry Hughes put him back over on the right side um, where where he had been for years upon years upon years. They just switched him to the left side last year. Then you have Rousseau rushing from the left side, Hughes from the right side. You have Epinesa and, and um, Addison coming in as your rotational guys. And you are looking pretty darn solid at that point because, you know, Epinesa has, has definitely been better than he was last year. But... I think Rousseau has been more impressive than Epinesa. And I don't know. I don't think it has anything. I agree. I don't think it has anything to do with him being new, but I, I think it's just the way that he uses his body and how quickly the guy can change directions. That's the one thing that stood about his Miami stuff from 2019 the most. Like you'll see him be upfield, um, going on a wide rush, and the and the quarterback trying to dip under and and get to get to the edge to try and scramble for some yards. And the guy doesn't even need like a a second step to to get himself going. He can plant off uh, an extended, usually it's his left leg, an extended left leg, and then just change his entire momentum of his body in a snap in the snap of a finger. So to me, when you have that sort of ability where you can impact a play, no matter what what is happening, and he can and he has those instincts to react in in that manner, then. You know, I if it's me, I want that guy on the field as much as possible. So that's a way down the line thing. But right now, I, and I know you said you agree, Rousseau is ahead of Epinesa. Now the other thing, um, you know, the that was an encouraging thing for this this year. I think the most discouraging thing right now for the Bills is whatever the heck is going on with their offensive line, like. We're talking uh, Spencer Brown has not really looked great um, in his first camp slash preseason. And he's he's not going to be a starter once Deion Dawkins gets back. But it's also a, a telltale sign. He is not ready to start right now. 
um, in in his rookie season. And he definitely needs some seasoning. Same thing with Tommy Doyle. But the interior of the line is a pretty big concern that's that's growing, at least in my brain. You know, Cody Ford, Ike Butker, John Feliciano, the guard spots are really the, the focal point here. And I'm not exactly sure that they have the right answer right now because all three of those guys, you can make a, a pretty legitimate case that all three are better run blockers than they are pass blockers. And what do the Bills do more often than not? They are throwing the ball, you know, the preseason game notwithstanding where they featured the run. But when you have three run first guards who are basically going to be your best options to start for you, that could potentially lead to some trouble. Um, and especially if the opponents have a good defensive tackle, you know, what is working in their corner is Mitch Morse is having an outstanding camp so far. He's looked really looked the part. Uh, and so he can help take some pressure off those guys. And then the guards are also surrounded by Deion Dawkins and Morse or Daryl Williams and Morse. But <clears throat> there's going to be a lot of times where, where those guards are one-on-one and, that can that can mean some trouble for Josh Allen, and he's good at getting out of the pocket and making something out of nothing. But you know, John Feliciano dropping, you know, 20, 25 pounds this offseason. My my main thought was, did they want him to do that, or did he just do it? Because he looks completely different. But he was always a power based player, and he's he's not. I mean, losing that much weight, it's like okay. That's that's great. You're more athletic, but you were never an athletic guy to begin with. So did you take away your fastball at this point? And then Butker is more of a run blocker than he is pass blocker. Cody Ford, same thing with him, where he struggles with speed a little bit. So th- this could be a problem. Yeah, and they're certainly making Cody Ford, you know, prove it and get mm-hmm. the reps. And yeah, it's to me probably. The chief concern on this team, along with the depth at cornerback, is the depth at offensive line. And really, like you mentioned, what they have in their starters uh, in the interior of the offensive line. Deion Dawkins, activated from the COVID list, is very good news. Mm-hmm. And But what's very bad news is that they really can't afford for either he or Daryl Williams to miss time or not play at the level they did last season. And I think Deion Dawkins has enough time to get himself right, uh, depending on you know how severe a case of, of COVID he was dealing with. There's a decent amount of run-up to the season. He's a good enough player that it shouldn't be, you know, the Bills should hope it's, it's not too much of a problem. Daryl Williams has looked solid. No reason to think he should have a huge drop-off, but he did just get a nice contract. He was on a prove-it deal last year, so there's no guarantees. But, man, if either of those guys misses time, they're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, Bo- Bobby Hart is not an NFL player. No, nope. uh, He proved that in Cincinnati, and they gave him, gave him a shot, but the, he proved, he proved he it again. <laughs> is not good. No. He, he was really bad last night. He's been really bad in practice. Tommy Doyle is not ready. Spencer Brown is not ready. You could put Ryan Bates back out, out at tackle, but that's really not the best home for him. Uh, mm-hmm. He's he's decent. Mm-hmm. He's probably better than any of their backup tackles, to be honest. But He's looked pretty really, good at center all, all camp, too. And I know he, he allowed a sack yesterday, but I actually like the rest of his performance outside of that. 
and I think that's the best home for him. That's where he wants mm-hmm. to play, and he's you know can do a little bit of guard as well. So uh, there's not a huge need to rely on him as a backup tackle, but man, they have to hope those those backup tackles, those rookies, grow up fast because Bobby Hart doesn't belong on this team. And so you're a turned ankle away from Spencer Brown protecting your $258 million quarterback. And I just don't think he's ready to do it, frankly. And so tackle is almost as much of a concern as guard. At least to me, they've got, you know, enough of a mixture of players that they can patch something together. They're at least not an injury away from total disaster. They have three average options right now it seems like Mm -hmm. and that's not the best spot to be in because it could cause some problems uh, on a weekly basis but they're not an injury away from chaos and it feels like they're an injury away from chaos at at offensive tackle unless these grow up a lot a lot quicker than we think because really you could withstand two injuries potentially on the interior of the offensive line and not have a as big a drop off as you would have with just one injury at offensive tackle. So, you know, Ryan Bates can step in and play guard. He can step in and play center. Mm-hmm. Feliciano has played center. Butker can even play a little bit of center. They have these movable pieces. You can question the ceiling of the interior of the offensive line, and absolutely, uh, it's fair to do so. Uh, but at least there's some depth there, and there's you know some options uh, to move pieces around and create competition. The tackle spot is, hey, maybe they don't have any injuries, and you know this is this is what you nitpick on a good team. Mm-hmm, uh, right. But you know it is uh, depth is certainly a, a problem all along the front, and it's part of what happens when you know the salary cap tightens and you don't have as much money to spend. Uh, you know they they really overspent or not even overspent. They just emphasized spending on the offensive line while they had the space uh you know the last couple of years and they just don't have the space anymore to do it and that's why they needed to draft and develop these rookies they just have to hope they develop really quick Mm -hmm. meanwhile ty and secchi last night in dallas i believe he was their starting left tackle for their preseason game now i'm sure he's probably not their starter going into the season but you know that that's a guy and i mean he he was it was fine um, a couple of years ago, and uh, that's probably a guy that they they probably wish they had the cap room to to bring back, but they just they just didn't, and so they uh, they they moved on with uh, Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle, and you know we'll, we'll see if that ends up uh, affecting some of their some of their season trajectory uh, this year. All right, let's uh, we're we're getting close to the end of the episode here. So let's kind of go back and forth with, you know, just some some players that kind of caught our eye, you know, whether it be some of the starting guys or, or what have you. Um, I'll kick it off with uh, a guy that has been pretty impressive to me for a lot of training camp and probably the sneakiest, well, maybe not anymore, the sneakiest uh, guy for the 53-man roster this year, and that's Josh Thomas. Um, the safety who looked really stinking good against the run all game long. Um, you know, it is the Lions, so don't go too overboard here. And the Lions are going to be a pretty bad team this year. But the way that Josh Thomas um, reacted, 
his instincts for the run, how he changed direction to get to the ball carrier, um, you know, wrapping up tackles, all of it just ticked every box, I think, for what the Bills are looking for. And he's slightly reminiscent of the trajectory that Dean Marlowe was on with Sean McDermott. You know, Marlowe spent his first year uh, under McDermott on the practice squad, just like Josh Thomas did uh, last year with the Bills. He had the full year of getting to know the defense. Uh, obviously, they liked they liked him quite a bit to keep him around as as long as they did, and never really think about cutting him. Um, and then for him to come into training camp and basically be ahead of the rookie Demar Hamlin, who they drafted in the sixth round. It was a, a pretty impressive performance by Thomas. He played a lot in the game, but he also started the game. Uh, and it would have been Josh Thomas and Jaquan Johnson starting the game had Johnson not, you know, had to get checked out after the, the kickoff to begin things. But uh, Thomas played the first two series. Uh, then he subbed out for Hamlin the next two. Thomas came back in and played with Hamlin on the fifth drive. And then the sixth drive uh, he played. And then... You know, he, he kind of had most of the rest of the night off from there. So uh, Thomas is, to me, is someone that, that raised um, his profile in the, in that game. How about you? Who do you have? I thought Thomas played really well. Andre Smith was another defensive mm-hmm. player that I thought really looked good. Both of those guys, you can just tell how well they know the defense by how fast they play mm-hmm. and how they're seemingly one step ahead uh, of what's going on. And Andre Smith knew this defense before he got here. It's part of why they were, you know, interested in trading for him. And he's a good special teams player, and he was one of the first linebackers in, which I think is a good sign. I think he's pretty squarely ahead of Tyrell Adams at the moment. And, you know, that's that was sort of a, you know, a, a position battle to watch coming into the, the, the preseason. He had an interception that was wiped out by a penalty, but still a really – you know, athletic play Super to haul impressive. it in. Super uh, impressive. You know, the the penalty did not impact you know the the interception or or change the play that he made on the ball. He also led the team uh, in tackles and was kind of flying all around the ball. Got into the backfield for a tackle for loss. He's looked good and has been you know up near the the front of the line uh, during training camp practices. And now to see it carry over to the preseason, see them give him a lot of run. That's a guy that I think is making a really strong case to make this team. Yeah, for sure. And I would even wonder if he's a lock at this point because of what he means to their special teams and you know how he looked in that game. I think I think it's pretty certain that he would be um, right in the running to be the first linebacker in um, if something happens to two of Klein, Edmonds, and Milano. I mean, he's he's just very impactful in that way. Um, out on the flip side, uh, someone that did not look great last night. I'll go with Rashad Wild Goose. Um, the the rookie had a tough time with it. You know, struggled in man coverage, struggled in zone, struggled you know, you know dealing with blocks and getting blown back off that and run support. Um, you know, it it was not a great you know his name notwithstanding because the name is incredible, but uh, it it was not. A, a great performance for him and I you know we talked we touched on the cornerback depth a bit when we were talking about the offensive line but that's 
that's somewhat of a of an issue. And you know, last night they had Saran Neal lining up in all three cornerback spots at different stages of the game. You know, the, his first couple of uh, series, Saran Neal was at nickel. The third series, he was at right cornerback. The fourth series, he was at left cornerback. So it really seems like they're preparing for life where Saran Neal would have to play legitimate snaps for them. And, you know, Wild Goose and McLeod and Griffin, these guys, they did not touch the field until the second half. So, uh, so yeah, there, there might be a, a depth cornerback problem and one that might even force them to only keep five uh, cornerbacks heading into the season. Yeah, unless they add a veteran, which wouldn't yeah. be a bad idea right. at this point, because again, nitpicking on a talented team, mm-hmm. but yeah, sure. you're an injury away from Dane Jackson or somebody having to come in. There's times where you have three, four of these guys on the field at once. I, I've thought at, since after about a handful of practices that they would keep five mm-hmm. unless they add a veteran, because. I just don't see any of these young corners earning it right now. Uh, Wild Goose, you mentioned uh, the the two undrafted kids, Griffin and McLeod. You know, they're just not standing out, and that can change. You know, the light can come on in a hurry, and uh, somebody can earn it. You know, but I just don't see it at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that position group got wiped out. You know, by COVID for a game last year uh, and they really had their depth tested I just feel like they they might need to to find somebody uh, at, at roster cut down time or even before then to bolster that group a little bit because like offensive line it is one where you don't want to have major depth problems it's hard to hide sometimes when you have uh, a corner who is able to be picked on in coverage so they do a, as good a job as any is scheming on the back end but still i feel like that could end up being a problem i like what they have in the starting lineup obviously a, a really great secondary and i think levi wallace is is looking better than he has the last two years but you know beyond that beyond those five that are probably locks um there's just not the depth there and that's again part of what happens at this stage of your roster build there's you can't have perfect depth everywhere mm-hmm. and you know that's one of the spots that they just don't have it right now yeah and you know i mean you don't have to go far to wonder what a bad cornerback room could look like because you know 2017 2018 when they were dealing with guys like Sharice Wright and Philip Gaines i mean that it feels like a long time ago but it wasn't that long ago when those guys were just not looking good and they were starting playing legitimate minutes for for the bills um so yeah that that's that's a thing um the the last thing i'll, I'll point out um uh, i thought the punter matt hawk had a nice nice game and uh, it's hawk not hack found that out um quickly after they signed him uh he his first three punts were great good placement uh Basically, he only allowed one yard of return on the three punts. His third punt was awesome. 54 air yards, angled it toward the sideline, forced the returner to to step out of bounds with the placement. Um, 4.63 seconds on the hang time. Like he, it, it seems like he brings an element to punting that Corey, the nuance to punting that Bohorquez just did not, um, where Bohorquez just tried to kill it, didn't really have the, um, the placement 
abilities that that Hawk has. And so uh, I feel like the Bills have to be feeling pretty good. But that that's all you're getting out of me for for puntalytics here. The kicker looked good too. He got a nice yep. little. Oh, he sure did. Other than that kickoff at the end, whatever that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. He had you know one of those pressure kicks that are hard to simulate. I don't know how much pressure he was feeling, you know, compared to a regular season game, but still a little game on the line situation that I'm sure they liked having that rep. And uh, yeah, I thought he had a good night. Uh, Devin Singletary too, uh, who we didn't yep. mention, had a good, you know, start to the game. Uh, had a, a long run wiped out by a penalty, then came back and had another long run and took advantage of Zach Moss being out, frankly. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, looked better than he did last year. So, you know, we'll see how much that, that carries over, but pretty good start for Singletary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't love Breida's night, um, uh, but he also was dealing with the mostly second-team offensive line, and we've we've gone over what, what that could look like for the Bills pretty pretty significantly. And shout-out to Davis Webb. Yes. Davis Webb went out there and did his thing. First time throwing a pass as a Buffalo Bill, which is a feels like he's been here forever, but he's only ever talking about you know what he's like as like an extra coach and you know the practice squad MVP but he looked like a pretty good quarterback last night Mm -hmm. um you know played with a lot of played pretty carefree played confident and you know didn't look like a guy that was feeling any sort of pressure which you need to do uh you know this time of year and I don't know how the the math is going to work out for the quarterback position frankly but you know and there's the added layer of you know Jake Fromm being a draft pick and he had his moments too um he was he had a moment yeah Bobby Hart didn't do him any favors so I you know give him a little bit of a pass but and he you know he led that drive and had that moment but Davis Webb has looked better pretty consistently he was in the game before him got a good chunk of playing time Will they keep three? That's the question. But if they yeah. do, I think Webb makes more sense than Fromm right now. If they if they can get a draft pick for Fromm, do it and don't look back. Just, I mean, he was what a fifth round pick. If you can get a a sixth for Fromm after a year, just just do it. Make the decision easy. And I know Davis Webb was drafted in 2017, but he was a third round pick. <laughs> You know, know, it's a it, decent pedigree for a guy that has not thrown a pass in a regular season game. You know, a third round pick. I'm not saying he's going to materialize and become a superstar, but you know, you don't see a lot of third round picks at quarterback that just don't end up in games at all. But that's been the situation for him. And between that draft pedigree and the fact that he's as valuable as he is Monday through Saturday. I mean, there's reason to hang on and see what you have there because it wasn't like he went out last night and laid an egg. He, you know, I thought moved the ball pretty well. Uh, You can see some of his limitations that have kept him on the bench in his NFL career, but we're not talking about, you know, a future starter or a future Pro Bowler. We're, you know, talking about maybe a backup. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think he, he looked the part on Friday night. Yeah, that's that's a good point because Trubisky is only signed to one year. It's probably just going to be a a one year relationship because the the Bills will hope to move him on to wherever and maybe even get 
a compensatory pick for him if if he looks good enough. Um, but but yeah, Davis Webb has some long term backup appeal here because how how old is Davis Webb? I don't even know anymore. Well, he was picked in twenty seventeen, so he's not that old. Davis Webb is twenty six years old, so that's that's right in the realm of uh, good backup years coming up here uh, if if they need him to. So yeah, there there's a there's a compelling case to make for keeping him as a third quarterback. It's just the the roster math has to line up, and you have to relinquish uh, at a spot because you can't keep three quarterbacks and four tight ends and seven receivers and 10 defensive linemen and six linebackers and six corner, six cornerbacks and 10 offensive linemen, like something, something's got to give from, from that standpoint. So. But what I like about Webb, the idea of keeping Webb is I think you have a better chance of putting him on the practice squad than you do Jake Fromm probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. People might be intrigued by the more recent draft pick and, you know, although maybe not. Fromm wasn't yeah. drafted very high. Obviously, most of the league didn't really like what they, they saw uh, when they evaluated him. And if Davis Webb keeps up this preseason magic, then maybe somebody tries to snag him and, and you know, make him into a backup quarterback yeah. of their own. But it feels like there's a certain, you know, air on Davis Webb that it's like, well, you know, that guy's been around since 2017 and hasn't done anything. So yeah, we'll let him pass through waivers. So I don't know, the more people see of him, maybe they, they change their mind, but mm-hmm. it feels like you can get him on the practice squad, especially because I highly doubt he would go to another practice squad or anything like mm-hmm. that. So I, right. I think, you know, he's potentially easier to keep and might be the better quarterback anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree on all accounts. All right. Um, so, yeah, we have one post-game show done. Only, uh, well, at least on the schedule anyway, only 19 more to go and maybe even more after that. So, um, we'll uh, the, the next time the, the Bills play will be Saturday afternoon against the Chicago Bears, once again on the road. We'll see if Josh Allen actually plays, which... I don't think he should, but uh, and I think a lot of people feel the same. But you never know with Sean McDermott. And uh, and then this week at practice, they get back to work on Sunday and have a few practices um, uh, strewn about uh, until they leave for Chicago on Friday. So, Matthew Fairburn, any fond words of farewell before we uh, we say goodbye to our Buffalo Beat listeners? You know, it's interesting to have the Lions preseason game as the first one. You know, it feels know, like it should have right. been the conclusion. Like, you know, like we really came out firing with the Lions game. So the Bears <laughs> and Packers games have a lot to live up to now that the Lions game is already in the rearview mirror. But it definitely made it feel like preseason football was back by having it start in Detroit with the Lions. Well, you know what we get at the uh, at, with the final regular season game or the final preseason game? We get the reunion of Rodgers and Kumaro. Yeah, that, so that that's fun. That'll make for a, a wonderful pregame moment, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. You can catch us uh, after the game next week uh, when, when the Bills are through their second of three preseason games. And we'll see if uh, some of the stuff that some of these young guys and and roster bubble guys have done in the early parts of camp and in the first preseason game carry over into that one. So 
for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Pascalia. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you next week. See you then.